You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope uh, the Super Bowl came and went. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their weekend. I enjoyed it thoroughly, especially uh, after the Rihanna performance. Uh, the Chiefs second half was just nothing but flawless. We'll recap the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, Alex will give his thoughts and, and, and myself. We also have a guest. We're going to go to him right now. Joining us now from the Delta Devils of Mississippi Valley State, edge rusher, pride of Clinton, Mississippi, number 50, Ronnie Thomas. Ronnie, welcome to Pros Like Us. How you doing, man? Yes, sir. Doing good. Glad to be here. All right. Well, we're going to talk to you about a lot of stuff today, but uh, first off, I just kind of want to take you back a little bit. What were your earliest memories of playing football? Yes, sir. I remember being six years old, starting off with the Clinton YMCA Youth Flag Football League. Wasn't old enough to play tackle football yet, so my dad started me off then in something safe. And I just remember having fun running around with some of my schoolmates that was on the same team as me, not really knowing what we were doing, but just enjoying the game, honestly. You came out of high school. You went to JUCO. What was that adjustment like? coming from JUCO to HBCU? Definitely was a different experience for me, especially coming from high school to JUCO. It was just different because of the responsibility and the load that was added on to me. So 5 a.m. workouts for practice, waking up at 8 a.m. for class, meetings throughout the day 24-7. I had to hurry up and adjust and grow up, honestly, which was different from what I experienced in high school. And coming from JUCO to the D1 level, JUCO really helped prepare me for the Division One load and level. Why did you choose Mississippi Valley State? What was it about the school that appealed to you? Just the opportunity that Coach Vincent Dancy gave me once I was leaving JUCO. When I came on my visit, just looking at the culture and how everybody around each other had love for one another and how the team had a family have family feeling to it. And with Coach Dancy, he just told me he can give me an opportunity to fulfill my dream of playing at the Division One level. And that's all I ever asked for. That's where it started off with with Valley. Now, the HBCUs have been gotten a lot more publicity lately, which is like far overdue from our experience because, you know, we tend to interview many guys from the, from all schools all over the place. And I think, you know, maybe Deion Sanders had a little bit something to do with that. I guess my question is, Ronnie, I guess not so much the football part of it, but just going to school at an HBCU, what's that experience meant to you? It it was an experience that I didn't know that I needed until I was in it. Just being around a bunch of love, you can feel the love radiating off the campus once you set foot on it. Everybody knows everybody's name from the custodian to the president and everybody's looking out for each other in a sense, honestly. So, and just knowing that your classmates are understand watching you, your teachers know you by your name and everything. It's just a loving environment. And it's an experience that I feel like a lot of athletes and a lot of people should have the joy of experiencing. 
how would you, I guess, best if you're approaching, whether it be a, a JUCO looking to make the jump or a high school senior, what would be your overall message to those guys to say, hey, take a look? If you're a great ball player, you can make it out of anywhere. But honestly, HBCUs are full of talent and they're definitely full of NFL level guys and pro football level guys. And I would just tell them that you can come to an HBCU do what you have to do while also just having fun with the experience that you're going to have and still make it out and fulfill the dreams that you want to fulfill while getting a quality education and a great degree in whatever field that you want to get in. What was the most memorable experience for you at Mississippi Valley State, whether it was on the field or off the field? It would have to be the homecoming game, my junior year in 2021 against North Carolina Central. That was just a game that came all the way down to the wire. Last few seconds of it, we were down. North Carolina scores a, a last-second touchdown. We on the, I'm on the sideline like, man, time looking kind of slim right now. North Carolina was a, a ranked HBCU at the time. And I just remember Ja'Cory ranking my teammate, making a, a, a crazy catch and run and getting us all the way down to the one-yard line, getting out of bounds with one second left. And my other teammate, Orlando, comes in and kicks the game when a field goal. And everybody rushes the field. And it's, it's just a great time and a big and much-needed win. What type of rush do you get when you sack a quarterback? And my eyes get huge. The, the feeling that goes through my body is just, I'll tell anybody, getting sacks aren't easy. So once you just put in your mind once you see that everything just came together from the get off to the move that you made to you actually closing in on the quarterback and getting them down to the ground and getting up and realizing you just made a crazy play like that it's just a feeling like no other it's a huge rush and excitement that goes through my body and I definitely want to get another one right after that and like when you're going up against you know the opposing offensive lineman or a quarterbacks I mean do you have a lot of hate for them? I mean, do you have to inspire yourself in order to, to get after the, the opposing offensive linemen or quarterbacks? I'm really a, a happy guy. Even when we're on the field, if you have a zoom on my face, I'm, I'm smiling. I'm just out there having fun. But when I know that it's a pass play, especially when it's like third and long, I wouldn't say I get angry. I just kind of get zoned in like okay this is what i do it's starting long i know what you have to do so now it's kind of like everything comes off in slow motion for me from when the old lineman gets into his pass set i'm watching his hands i'm watching i'm even watching just what type of set he has does he overset me does he does he give me the inside does he not give me the inside kind of take the edge so i feel like i just start dissecting him all in that split second and that, so I would describe myself as I just get zoned in when I when I'm making the pass rush move. Okay, okay, uh, Ronnie, where are you currently training for the NFL draft? I'm training in Humble, Texas, with our sports performance, being coached by Coach Derek Blaylock. He played for the Kansas City Chiefs back in the day. Great trainer. Feel like he's preparing me mentally and physically for the combine and for the next level as well with a lot of the training that we're doing and seeing that he has the experience from being in the NFL combine and being in the NFL as well. I just feel like he has me prepared for what I have to do to be successful on the next level. 
what do you think you've improved on the most during the, the time that you've been at this facility? Definitely my quickness and my speed. We've been sharpening that. Just um, my running mechanics as well. Just making sure that I'm doing the small things right, flexing my feet how I'm supposed to, getting my knees up to my chest when I'm running. And we also do just certain ball drills while coming off the ball, just working on getting the get-off right and everything for pass rushing situations or even when I'm back there at linebacker. And definitely we've been working on my just reacting, my fast twitch or my pass rush or just, again, getting off the ball. What's the goal for you as far as the 40 during the pro day? Have you set a number for yourself? I'm looking for a 4-5. Four, a 4-5? Four, five. Four, five. Okay. Yes, sir. Are you there yet, or are you still working towards that goal? Yes, sir. I would say I'm there. We've been, we've been working. We've been grinding. All the numbers are coming out how we want to. And I just feel prepared to be able to go out there and run a 4-5. My, my, again, my quickness and my speed have definitely took a tremendous jump since I started training at Armed Sports with Coach Derek Blaylock. So I feel like I'm more than prepared to run a 4-5. There are a lot of college all-star events, you know, once the season wraps up. And you also had an opportunity at CGS in, in Texas. What did you take away from that experience? Just seeing all the different talent that was there and just seeing different guys from these power five schools and even guys who were, weren't from power five schools, just seeing how talented a lot of these guys are in this draft class and getting a chance to go against them. And while I'm from a smaller school going against these bigger schools, just seeing that and showing that I belong out there with them and that it's not really much of a difference because at the end of the day, football is football. So I would say College Grind Showcase was a great experience, an experience that I needed, and I would definitely encourage other athletes, once their time comes, to participate in. So that was you know, a little bit earlier in the process. Uh, coming up here in the next couple of weeks, Ronnie, you're uh, heading to the Legacy Bowl, the HBCU Legacy Bowl. What are you most looking forward to uh, in that setting? The competition, just getting out there against some, some of the greats, in um, HBCU football in this draft class, just going against them, going head up against them, just seeing the competition levels, seeing what they have to offer, and definitely being around the pro football scouts and everything, being able to compete one last time at a collegiate level. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Pass rushers come in all different shapes, sizes. It does. If you can get to the quarterback, yeah, I don't think anybody cares anymore. We've got you at six feet, 250. How close is that? It's close. It's definitely close. Right now, I'm weighing in at 244, though. It's definitely pretty head on, I would say. All right. So picking up on the quickness, you know, getting a little more, more sleek. What do you think makes you a great pass rusher? My violence. Whenever I close in, my, my closing speed, once I get out the ball, is definitely a big part in it. But I feel like it's whenever I'm in, I engage with the O-lineman, just my violence with my hands, whether if I'm going to club rip you and then bend the edge, I'm going to always make sure that I want to, in a way, break his hands when he tries to touch me. Just so as soon as the O-lineman shoots it, I'm trying to just knock him off me. Or even when I do a spin move, I'm trying to, pick you whenever I come around with the other arm. I'm trying to like literally slap 
your back so I can come around clean and free. So I would just say just my get off whenever I'm coming off the ball and my violence with my hands once I'm closing in and I have to engage with the old lineman. All right. And we've seen like all the, the scouting drills, the what we see at the combine and so forth as far as pass rushing methods. Have you done anything unusual? I mean, I know some guys do like uh, martial arts, boxing. I mean, any any sort of unusual training methods that you use and maybe describe how that's helped you. I usually find the on field goal and get on the goal post. That's always been my method just to kind of mirror my drills on it, just ghost it, kind of like just shadow brush it, honestly. That's always been my thing because whenever you're bending around the field goal, goal post or you're doing a move on it, it's like you got to be so tight, just like you would have to on an old lineman to where if, you, if you're not tight on it, you'll know. If you're too tight, you'll definitely know because you're going to run into it and that won't be pleasant. But if you do it just right, you come back around on it, it kind of helps you perfect your moves. And that's also – my routine before a game, during pregame warm-up, I'm always going to be on the field goal goal post just going through my moves, always. So that's my method to always get my pass rush down. Listen up, high schoolers. That's how you do it. Uh, Ronnie, from an individual standpoint, you took your game to another level during your senior year. What was the difference for you this past season? Just realizing that this is it. Even with my training this offseason, I, I went to training with that mindset that I don't get another college year. This is it for me. Just from the way I was training in the offseason, I was training like this is my last time playing football ever. So my conditioning went up. My weight room went up. And Coach Dancy, before we got for spring football, you know, he kind of challenged me to take my game to the next level. He wanted me to become a better run stopper. He wanted me to become an even better pass rusher. And so I kind of took it personally because he just let me know that if I don't take it to the next level, I'll, yeah, I'll go down as a good player. But he knew I wanted to be considered a great player, even one of the best to ever come through HBCU football and college football. So that's kind of what helped me took my uh, game to the next level, just the mindset of, you don't get another one. And if you want to go to the next level, this has to be just the year that you solidify yourself. So you mentioned some of the, the personal growth that you had and you, the accolades followed. I mean, you set the uh, single season school sack record. You're all SWAC first team. You're playing in the Legacy Bowl. Yet the team finished two and nine this year. What did this past season teach you? about yourself, about being part of a team and staying motivated? At the end of the day, man, football is about being a team. You know, it's going football, that's why we love it. It's a love-hate relationship. It has its ups and it has its downs. And one thing this year helped me realize is that no matter what's going on, even if it's personal or even if it's team-wise, you got to stay together with your guys because at the end of the day, that's all you have left. So when you have a 2-9 season, obviously – it's not, you don't have the biggest fans around, but you got your guys, you got your teammates, you got your brothers. So I think that's what this year just helped me realize is that, yeah, I definitely love this sport and I love the bond that I have with my brothers and teammates because it's a special one in the locker room. When you look at NFL pass rushers, who do you try to model your game after? Von Miller. That's all. That's been my favorite pass rusher since ninth grade. I, I try to just mimic what he does 
from a team, whether if it's his first step off the ball, whether if it's his ghost rush technique, his spin move, I try to mimic it all. I love the way he bends the corner. I love how versatile he is. I love how smooth he is in his pass rush, and a lot of people don't realize that he's an aggressive pass rusher, but he's a smooth pass rusher. So when you watch him, it just seems like what he's doing is so easy until you break it down and you like, man, you just realize how talented he is. So that's the guy that I've always mimicked my game after. Now, Vaughn famously raises chickens. Do you have have any hobbies or anything outside of football that, that you can share with us? I'm a movie connoisseur. I love breaking down movies, watching, like, reading movie reviews, critiquing movies and everything. I, I'll even go to the movies by myself probably twice or three times a week just to catch the latest movies. And, I mean, I probably can recite a lot of classic movies just off the top of my head so much. So that's my hobby. Just I just love breaking down movies. I just love them. What's your go-to if you, like, bored one day and just want to watch watch a movie? Is there one that you keep going back to? Training Day with Denzel Washington. It's a okay. class. <laughs> yeah. All right, sure. Was it Ethan Hawke? Was he in there? That was yes, his newbie, sir. wasn't it? That's the newbie. Right. He gave him grief on the first day. Definitely. I remember that one. Okay, that's that's pretty cool. You know, we've talked about the HBCU and so forth, and I know James Houston from Jackson State was a sixth-round pick last year, and he didn't play right away, but when he got on the field, I think he ended up with, like, eight sacks. Is that a guy you kind of look to for inspiration? Man, James, he's a special player. Even last year, we were in competition. I'm watching him play for Jackson State. I admire his game. He's literally a problem. His nickname definitely suits him. He's literally a problem. I'm definitely a fan of his as well. That's the guy, even this year, before we go, we went out for games, I'll be in the locker room literally pre-game watching some of his highlights from JSU or especially when he took off with the lines, just watching what he did that game to see what, you know, what if I could add that to my bag and help me make, make some of the plays he was making on Sundays this year. But he's definitely a great player, definitely a guy that I feel like I can see myself being compared to, and he deserves everything that he that happened to him this year. All right. So if you had to kind of maybe just give us the reasons in your mind that you're going to stick with an NFL team for next season. I'm just a gritty guy. It's always been instilled in me. I'm a gritty guy whenever I'm on the field. I'm tough, and I'm definitely a playmaker. Wherever the ball is, I'm always going to be there. I'm going to be around it, and my motor is second to none. I'm always ready to go. I'm a sideline to sideline player, and I'm versatile. You can put me anywhere on that field. You can definitely put me on special teams, and I'll make something happen. I feel like my playmaking ability, though, sets me apart and will help me stick with whatever NFL team gives me the opportunity. All right. Now, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but last year we interviewed Joshua Williams. He's an HBCU kid, uh, Fayetteville State. Uh, I don't think he played them last year, but uh, we had him on. You saw him during the course of the season making plays. He just got a Super Bowl ring. So there's some more inspiration for you. We'll give you a few minutes here. You've got the floor. If you want to shout out your social media, anything you want to plug, here's your chance. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter, Ronnie Thomas, but it's a zero instead of an O. 
and follow me on Instagram at Runny Thomas, regularly spelled, but it's a zero at the end of Thomas. And man, I just want to shout out my family and God, because without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And I want to shout out Mississippi Valley State University for making me. And Miss Rashida Liberty, my agent, love her. Great woman and the whole Lady Live family. And I want to shout out you guys for just having me on today. Definitely was an honor, and I definitely enjoyed myself. Well, we certainly appreciate you taking the time. Good luck in the Legacy Bowl. Good luck for the draft. And if for some reason you don't get drafted, pick up that call, become a UDFA, and go show them what what the Delta Devils are all about coming off the edge. Yes, sir, definitely. All right, Ronnie Thomas there, gang. Delta Devils, Mississippi Valley State. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks again to HBCU Super Edge rusher Ronnie Thomas. Great job, Ronnie. Uh, All right, Alex, let's get to it. The Super Bowl, we talked about last week how it was going to be a big uglies game. Uh, It was going to be O-line versus D-line. You know, what was this Chiefs offensive line going to do against this, you know, historic sack numbers? And uh, Hassan Reddick is just going to chew Wiley up for lunch. And at the end of the day, they had zero sacks. Um, So was it the Chiefs offensive line that played great? I want to say yes. But one of the other things that came out of the game and and I thought was interesting because the Chiefs played there the first week of the season against the Cardinals. And that's when Harrison Butker got hurt. For the, I mean, he was slightly injured through most of the season, and they used different kickers. But my point is that the field conditions, very slick, it seemed like. And I think maybe that had something to do with these pass rushers not being able to get the best footing. I don't know, but it seemed like a lot of guys were slipping and a lot of t- a lot of guys were changing cleats, and it just didn't seem like the what you should be seeing in a Super Bowl game. But anyway, uh, I'll take the result any day of the week. I can't believe we're talking about this. Both teams complain about the footing in that Arizona stadium, but I can't believe that. I mean, you're taking away from you know Chiefs hoisting up the Super Bowl trophy. Uh, and we're talking uh, in the beginning. We're talking about the field conditions. I just it think was, it, I think it played a big role in the game. It really did. I mean, receivers were, were slipping a little bit, and just you did. It, there was no rain, right? I mean, yeah, the roof was open. I mean, we're in the desert. It was beautiful weather. Supposedly, the field has grown somewhere else. Maybe when they bring it in. It gets dewy and slick on that, but it just doesn't seem it just didn't seem right. It just guys were slipping all over the place. Well, it's, let's talk about the Chiefs just in general. Yeah. I, I think Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In the first half, the Chiefs didn't look good at all. And the only thing that kind of kept them in the game was that that fumble return for a touchdown by Nick Bolton in the first half. Because who, by the way, had a tremendous game. I mean, if you take away even that fumble recovery, Nick Bolton was everywhere for the Chiefs. So that that was just that was an amazing performance by him on defense. Secondly, I mean, when we're talking about the Chiefs in the second half, I just think it was just amazing. I mean, they went four out of four in the red zone in the second half and they scored touchdowns. That efficiency will win you football games. 
All right. I mean, that that's an, that's one thing that you could talk about. And then the running game just they, they stuck with it in the second half. And I think it, it propelled the Chiefs. Uh, you know, they rushed. I, I wrote it down here. They rushed 17 times for 126 yards in the second half. Mahomes had 40 of those rushing yards. Just the fact that they committed to it, knowing that they were down. And the fact that they tried to keep a balance, and I think that surprised the Eagles because they certainly didn't expect that. I think they expected the Chiefs to just air it out, and that was further from the truth in the second half. And another thing that I think played a, a huge role, correct me if I'm wrong, from based on what I, I saw, just motion, Lou, just confusing the Eagles. I mean, they were getting the matchups that they wanted. Motion won this game for the Chiefs, especially in the second half. It just created like favorable matchups for the wide receivers, for Travis Kelsey, for Juju Smith-Schuster, who had a very impressive second half. I mean, the Kadarius Tony play, we, we could talk about it more at length, but the fact that they, they saw something on film, uh, you know, that the Eagles defense was doing, and they used that to their advantage when they sent him in motion, and then he just went back and, and you know, scored that easy touchdown just to walk in. So I just think the coaching staff in general for the Chiefs made some adjustments, and I think they stuck with the game plan. And they certainly, like, I'm really surprised that the Eagles offensive and defensive coordinator are getting these, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but they're getting these head coaching jobs. And then Eric Bieniemy, who I think outsmarted, you know, Jonathan Gannon in the end, is still not getting anything, any respect at all. It's just, I believe the players executed, the coaching staff put them in that position. And the fact that they didn't allow a single sack to that Eagles defense is is absolutely amazing. I certainly didn't expect that. So all those things won the Chiefs the game in the second half. Um, it wasn't only Patrick Mahomes. He certainly played well. But, you know, there were a lot of contributing factors that went into this comeback win in the second half. Well, I think just from your first point, yeah, I mean, one of the, the plays of the game was the, I guess, Jalen Hurts was kind of switching the ball from one hand to the other, and he just dropped it. I mean, Bolton was there to make, kind of make the tackle, but he just drops it. He didn't force the fumble, but he was there, and then, uh, I don't know if it was <laughs> just fate or whatever, but the ball like kind of bounced right back up. And it, usually you see that the defense, they're like knocking it around for a little bit or somebody kicks it. Finally, somebody falls on it, but it just bounced right back up and he scores. And my gosh, in the second half, if they stick with the call on the field where uh, I think it was Booby Sanders cut, catches the ball in the flat and Bolton hits him. <laughs> And he, he knocks it out and then he goes scoops and scores again. You know, that was, re, you know, it was reversed. I mean, then I think maybe Nick Bolton is the MVP of the game. But yeah, a lot of points there that you made, Alex. And I want to, you know, highlight again is just a masterful job that the Chiefs coaching staff did. And again, Reed, Biennemi, Nagy, that whole offensive staff. You don't want to shortchange Joe Blameyer. Obviously, he, this is his first year coaching the wide receivers, Greg Lewis goes from wide receivers to coaching running backs. Now all of a sudden those guys, you know, Pacheco kind of developed as a pass catcher. McKinnon's game opened up. 
So a lot of that, but they broke some tendencies too. And I think that's where, where you're talking about art outsmarting them, where there was a couple of run calls, big run calls on third down that they broke tendencies and they, you know, got big plays when a lot of times, uh, you know, they'll on third and short. And it was just more frustrating than anything during the course of the year. The chiefs were on third and shorts in the middle of the field in the red zone they've got all sorts of different plays and it's just a, it's almost like a circus and it's hard to stop but in the middle of the field between the 20s third and short it always seems like oh my god they don't sneak and i've said this a million times they haven't run a quarterback sneak with patrick mahomes since he dislocated his kneecap in denver a few years back i don't think you'll ever see them do it again i don't know if it's superstition whatever but they don't do it so anyway, a lot of times when they bring in the second back in third and short, it's Mike Burton, the fullback. And a lot of times they'll kind of do the underneath handoff to him. And for the longest time, he was just, you know, he'd plow forward first down, an easy play. But then, you know, teams started getting hip to it and they started stopping him. And it, it was always a mess. So they put McKinnon in almost like a, as a fullback. It almost like they they faked the pitch to uh, to Pacheco, handed inside to McKinnon, and he d- darts off for about a fifteen yard run. Then they come in on a on a third down and short again. This time they bring Burton in, but Burton lead blocks. Pacheco goes outside, and they break it for another fifteen yards. hundred and fifty eight yards rushing in the Super Bowl, which I think might be their biggest rushing total of the year. Uh, but the biggest thing is that the Eagles had 111 yards rushing where they were making their living running the ball. And 70 of those were by Jalen Hurts, who, by the way, played an amazing game, it was just outstanding. And they're going to pay him and he whatever. I mean, he wrote his own ticket in the, on the biggest stage. And I don't know that he's played a better game in his life. But the other running backs went for like 41 yards. You meant and then go also to the short motion. They're they famously run those jet sweeps in the red zone, and it's either McCall Hardman or uh, usually it's McCall Hardman, right? Or occasionally they were working uh, Sky Moore into that piece, and then of course you know Tony, but he didn't play that. You know he was he came in, he did well, he got hurt, you know all this. But in games that he played, the Chiefs were ten and zero. Not saying there's a correlation there, but that's just a fact. But again, the short motion, evidently, and again, what from what I'm hearing and so forth, I don't know if it was a enemy thing or whatever, but he noticed that the, the Jaguars got him on that a couple of times in the game that they played. Obviously, the connection with Doug Peterson, a lot of formations are the same, but just the timing of the whole thing where the flanker comes like screaming in towards the line of scrimmage. And just at that point, the Eagles are kind of like, okay, are we going to pass this off? Are we going to do this? Am I going to go with him? We're in a zone. Okay. Pass it to this guy. He's going to do this. You've got Kelsey that they're trying to stop and perfect timing on the snap. To me, that's the big the big part of the play, too, is that as soon as they like double back towards where they came from, the snap comes, defense doesn't have the chance to react, and you got two walk-in touchdowns. 
with Tony Sky Moore on the other side, which is just a, just a thing of beauty where in the red zone, you don't see a defender in the picture. That's just unheard of. So, yeah, I mean, they just did an amazing job calling plays. We always talk about over the course of the years is, you know, I would compare the Chiefs almost to like the Golden State Warriors, the old Showtime Lakers, where at a certain point that avalanche is coming. And, you know, they lose Tyreek Hill. They, they trade Tyreek Hill and you think, wow, this is going to look different there. You know, then it becomes like death by, you know, a thousand cuts. Mahomes, you know, kind of adjusts his game and he really elevates his game to the point where he's more so reading defenses, going to the open spots underneath, in the middle. It's just it became almost like surgery. And uh, the avalanche came. It just maybe was a little bit slower, maybe not quite an avalanche, maybe a little bit of a mudslide. I don't know what you want to call it. But it just seemed like drive after drive after drive. They had all the answers. They could have scored 10 more times, you know, you'd think if they kept playing. But, uh, yeah, it was just something to behold. Um, of course, you know, looking at the negative things, I talked about the, the, the field conditions. And, of course, again, on the game-winning drive, the one thing that I said, I don't want this to come down to a flag a call by the officials because that's all anybody's going to want to talk about. Uh, and then there was that call. Initially, when you saw it, were you thinking a flag's coming out here? Cause I, I didn't, I didn't know what the, you know, looked like Juju was, you know, he kind of ran the route and he was like maybe impeded. And then the flag came late, which that wasn't a good look either, but I don't know. Did you, did you see that flag coming? I thought it was a hold low. I mean, I guess you can make a case that you want it to be consistent throughout the game. And I guess that's what the players and teams look for. I mean, you either officiate it very tightly or you let it go. I'm always like, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. I don't care if it's at the end of the game, if it's in a crucial situation. I thought Smith-Schuster, I mean, you could make a case that there was no way he was going to be able to catch that ball. But it was a hole. When I saw a replay of it, Bradbury held him. He even admitted it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sometimes, sometimes officiating, sometimes officials will let that go, especially in a crucial situation like that. But I'm all about if it's a penalty, you call it. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, like it has to be what a really blatant call for you to call the you know a penalty. I just I always feel like. If it's a hold, if it's a penalty, you got to call it. It doesn't matter whether it's the end of the game or not. I'm not about like, oh, this is unfair. The Eagles got shortchanged. You know, how could they do this? If it's a penalty, Lou, it's a penalty. And I yeah, felt like I mean, it was. And again, I mean, players, I mean, if you've played any sport, any sport, basketball, football, soccer, whatever, you're just looking for consistency or you want to have an idea what you can and can't get away with in a game. Uh, and I guess the, the problem I had is what, like earlier in the game where it looked like, you know, Juju was clearly held on a third down and they don't call it. Now that doesn't mean they're not going to call it the rest of the game, but you're like, okay, Hey, maybe they are going to let him play a little bit. You know, how many times, you know, just like big receivers, like at the end, they'll even show it 
where they kind of give that last push to the defender before they catch the touchdown pass over the, you know, over the shoulder. And they're like, oh, you know, it's hand fighting. They we're gonna let that go. The only problem I had is it seemed like the flag came out way late. So again, if it's a hold, right? I mean, this happened almost in the backfield. I mean, he was right close to the, the line of scrimmage where the where the hold took place. So that's before the ball goes out. So regardless of catchable, uncatchable non-issue here this is a whole not pass interference but when as juju's running you don't see the flag come flying in until he's like near the end zone and the ball's already landed out of bounds somewhere so that that's again that's where again you know fans see it and they're like oh gosh you know it's third down all of a sudden now you know the timeout situation the clock situation the game's over I mean, unless the Chiefs, you know, just do something silly, this game's over. They're, you know, Harrison Bucker is going to come out and he's going to kick a field goal with under 10 seconds or close to 10 seconds left. And this and that's a wrap where at that point there's a minute and a half. Oh, my gosh, they kicked the field goal. Jalen Hurts is going to get the ball back. And, you know, a minute and a half down three. Is he is it, are we going to go overtime or the. Eagles going to score and then Mahomes gets the ball back, you know, because everybody's kind of trying to recreate that Buffalo Kansas city game. And it's just like back and forth all within like, you know, a minute and a half and there's like 40 points scored, but uh, yeah. Hey, he held them. There's no question about it. You saw it. Everybody saw it. It's just, Oh, you know, now they call it. So that's, that's the only thing that I took away at that point is like, okay, this is going to be something. And again, players know, Everybody knows, coaches know, there's a million calls. Sirianni even said it after the game. And any coach will say the same thing because there's so many plays that go in the game. There's so many plays they could have made earlier to wrap that game up, and they just didn't. And the defense certainly didn't show up the second half. So at the end of the day, it's something for us to talk about, something for fans to – really you know philadelphia fans or anybody that was watching the game that didn't want the chiefs to win are just good oh my god the referees gave it to him again well did they give it to him on the you know on a couple of those other plays how about the play that i talked about with nick bolton on his second scoop and score no they reversed it so it, it all i guess at a certain point everything works out it's just that at that time and everybody's kind of hoping for this great storybook ending, and it's going to come down to running the clock down. Chiefs calling a timeout, then Bucker kicks a, a chip shot. So anyway, I never, I never I loved the end. I never thought in the beginning of the season, you know, the Chiefs lose Tyreek Hill. They they trade him to the Dolphins. I, I never thought that the Chiefs would be here in the Super Bowl playing in Arizona. But the thing is. Smith Schuster stepped up in the Super Bowl in the second half. Huge second half. Huge second half. And then Kadarius Toney, the man who was given up for for dead by the Giants. You know, a former first-round pick. That was a key pickup. I mean, we're talking about that play where he went in motion, but what about that fourth quarter punt punt return? Punt punt return was huge. Yeah, That was huge. Yeah, That was huge. I mean, the, the guy that nobody wanted, here he is. He comes in, and we might not hear about... Kadarius Tony ever again, but he made his mark in a Super Bowl. He made a couple of huge plays, and, and you know, it, and where's Tyreek Hill? 
What's Tyreek Hill doing right now, huh? He's sitting there in, in South Beach, and he didn't sniff, you know, the, the Super Bowl or anywhere close to that. But I want to take my hat off to Jalen Hurts because in a losing effort, the man delivered, okay? And obviously, he's going to make some things, but the, the game that he played, whether it was rushing or throwing the football, I mean, he exceeded my expectations, and I mean, that's just, that was extremely dangerous. The fact that, you know, he was the focal point of the Eagles rushing attack. How successful they were, you know, running that. It just, in a way, you're seeing how the NFL has evolved and how teams look at these running quarterbacks nowadays. And that the fact that when you don't have a running quarterback, you're almost at a disadvantage the more teams are opening up their playbooks with RPOs, you know, with runs up the middle, and it's just people are just taking their chances. It's just the, the NFL game has changed so much, even in the last like three or five years. And I just, I know that it's gonna evolve even more in the next five years that we'll probably see every team will have a running quarterback by then. And I, we're going to look at NFL offense as completely different. So I take my hat off again to the Eagles coaching staff, the way they use Jalen Hurts to to his strengths and the way he played. I mean, he certainly didn't, he didn't, how he certainly like, he didn't look out of place. He played up to par, up to Patrick nah, Mahomes. He, 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 looked he exceeded, like again, he exceeded my expectations. Bona, bona fide franchise quarterback. If you didn't think he was that good before that game, you'd have to come away from this saying that no matter what they pay him, he's absolutely worth it. Um, the thing that, again, I, maybe we'll, we'll get past this eventually, but these these guys that have offenses with designed runs by the quarterback it's still the 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 injury part of it uh it's still the you know how long can they do this you know as far as a human being taking those kind of hits and also being the the quarterback of the team you've seen over the last few years uh, you know, Lamar Jackson getting hurt uh, on occasion. Now, we haven't seen it with Josh Allen quite yet, but if they keep running him, you know, eventually he's going to get something. Something's going to happen, and he's going to get knocked out for a bit. Uh, Hurts this year, you know, with the shoulder, and then when he came back, you know, they were really, you know, being taking it easy with him. But obviously, last game of the year, we're throwing caution to the wind. And he, yeah, you can't say enough. for In a losing effort, he legitimately could have been the MVP of the game. Legitimately. I mean, just from the numbers that he put up, how he let, led his team, just the one thing is where, you know, arguably, you know, one of the biggest plays of the game, he, you know, he gave up a touchdown. And, you know, they were up 14 to 7. That game was real close to maybe getting a little out of control and this turning into Tampa Bay, Kansas City from a year, few years back. But they held in it. And, you know, and then again, you know, more to the adds more to the story where, where Mahomes, you know, the last the last possession that they had in the first half where he gets tackled by the, the legs 
and he hurts his ankle, and you can hear him on the mic'd up, you know, audibly screaming because it was so it was so painful. But you know, a little bit longer halftime, maybe some treatment, you know, whatever. And he comes back and has arguably his biggest play of the game was a 26-yard scramble to get them down close uh, near the end of the game. So uh, I just, it was it was a very good game. Um, you just hate that you know that call was a was a big piece of it but it was a foul they called it and that's you just got to live with it but uh yeah and on top of that the pros like us best bets chiefs and over winner winner chicken dinner 11 and 1 in the playoffs that's that's astounding i've i've surprised myself shocked but hey we'll take the money yeah and the the eagles coordinators you know, got head coaching jobs after the Super Bowl. Both guys, the defensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator, filled their roles for the Colts and for the Arizona Cardinals. So now, you know, everything seems to be complete. Yeah, I mean, you know, Steichen to Indianapolis, Gannon to Arizona. And, you know, there's a lot of thinking out there that these teams were kind of dragging their feet or, you know, wow, their first round of interviews, second round of interviews, bringing people back. But just kind of the way the rules are set up for these guys is that they couldn't do a second interview until – the season was over and so to comply with rules so i don't know what were each of these guys their first choice doesn't matter at this point i think both of these are probably going to be home run hires steichen you know first first opportunity uh well he was you know calling plays this year he didn't last year but i mean he's paid his dues i think he worked with sirianni and uh frank reich at the at the chargers and that's kind of how that connection took place. And then Gannon, both these guys are like early 40s, first opportunities as head coaches. Gannon is like a ball of energy. So I think this is going to be a, a, a good move for Arizona, defensive coach. Maybe not somebody so laid back as, uh, as Cliff was. And maybe that's what Kyler needs. Depends on who he – I guess we'll see who he brings in as his offensive coordinator – uh, I'm sure both of these guys are going to want to take some some of those coaches in Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, Brian Johnson is a big name right now, the quarterback coach for the Eagles. Uh, he's He has known Jalen Hurts since he was a kid. Uh, he played at Utah, was a great, great quarterback at the University of Utah, and he played for Jalen's dad in Houston uh, at the high school that they went to. So he's known him since he's like four years old. So I, I'm pretty sure they're going to want to keep him as the OC to work, continue working with Jalen Hurts. I mean, you saw what happened, him having a season of having the same coordinator two years in a row for the first time since he was in high school. So uh, I think those are both great hires. But again, the same question we keep asking ourselves every off season, you know what's coming, Alex, what the hell is the deal with Eric Bieniemy? What does this guy have to do, or what has he done that turns people off so much? I think he's had like 17 head coaching interviews, uh, 16, I think, different teams. He interviewed with, I think, the Texans twice, two separate occasions. But uh, now it looks like he might, you know, Ron Rivera from the Andy Reid tree. 
he might hire him as his offensive coordinator. Maybe that'll finally show everybody, hey, if he's calling the plays in Washington and they do well, okay, now we'll believe it that this guy can do the job. But there's so many of these guys that never called plays before that have gotten hired. Hell, Peterson and Nagy got head coaching jobs and they worked for Andy Reid. So it's kind of the same situation, but I don't know. It's just, it's just so unnerving. I just see you're there's something there, but nobody can seem to figure out what it is. And I've talked about it before. Maybe it's his demeanor. Maybe it's his appearance. Maybe it's his stature. You know, you don't see too many coaches that are his size. And again, this is all BS, but what else is there? That's kind of what we have to pick from. So just um, let's see what happens. But I think again, his contract is up with the chiefs and it's been like this in the last few years. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to keep him, but maybe for his sake, the best thing would be go somewhere else, be the offensive coordinator, call the plays, kind of make it his own thing. And maybe then uh, some owner will say, okay, man, we, we, we hear you. Let's go. I mean, we, you and I have had these discussions before. I don't want to every go year. Into this. Yeah. I don't want to go into this <laughs> rant again. No, it's no. just a shame. It's just a shame, Lou. And these these owners and these teams should be ashamed of themselves because I think we saw during the Super Bowl who got the upper hand and Biennemi played a major role in that. And in his relationship with Patrick Mahomes, in the development of that offense without Tyreek Hill, uh, just how they they took it to the Eagles in the second half and the enemy is a central part of that offense. And I also realized how old I am, Lou. Like, I'm getting old. <laughs> like, really old. You know why? Well, because it's, it's all you know relative, why? Alex. <laughs> Do you know why? Because you mentioned, you mentioned Brian Johnson when he was a quarterback for, for the Utah Utes. And yeah. I interviewed him after his senior year when he was preparing for the NFL draft. He was, it was a record-setting quarterback. Oh you know, yeah, at Utah and had great success, and he he was one of my favorite interviews back then. I remember that very personable guy, like very fun guy, very open guy, and you can. I remember that interview. I mean, he seemed like a leader. He, you know, when we talked on the phone, and uh, yeah, it's it's another reminder how how old I am getting. <laughs> well, we won't talk about age. I won't talk about age for sure, because then we'll really go be going back. Uh, last thing on the Super Bowl is and, and the story came out that I think either the week leading up to or the first two weeks leading up to the, uh, the Super Bowl, the Eagles had contracted for that time period Vic Fangio to help with the defense. I don't know how much they paid him. But come on. Do you think there was do you think there was some language in the contract that said, hey, if 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 we give up like over 30 points, yeah, we're you're not getting paid, man. But then he, you know, he he's now the defensive coordinator in Miami. But uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. So all right, Alex, thanks for all the commentary and putting up with my uh homerism for the Chiefs, but uh been waiting on this for a long time. We're in the middle of a, a golden era in Chiefs football. I, I wish it would have happened when I was much younger, but I'm certainly enjoying the hell out of it while it lasts. Uh, after we, we're done recording here, I'm going to go watch the parade. 
Sorry, I can't be there, but uh, I'm certainly going to watch it on NFL Network. So for my partner, Alex Kavtoff, I'm Lou. Thanks to our guest, Ronnie Thomas. Until next time, gang. Peace.